Welcome to Smart Poker Study, brought to you by ThePokerForge.com. I'm your coach, Sky Matsuhashi, and this is the podcast for profitable play and study strategies. Along with those, I give you action steps to take because action is the greatest teacher. My goal is to turn you, my student, into the player that you want to be on your poker journey, one step at a time. Let's do this. Wow, it's so it's been so long since we've had an episode like this. So I'm really excited because I got to interview Duncan Polymortis. He's the author of Why Alex Beats Bobby at Poker. I absolutely loved the book. You've got to check it out. I got it in paperback. As soon as he releases an audiobook, I'm gonna get an audiobook as well. Really good stuff. We talk about the book within the, the the interview portion you'll hear in a little bit. So I'm not going to dive too much into it now, but I truly believe that this is the kind of book that you must read. You can learn something and take action with the stuff he talks about in every single chapter and highly, highly recommend this book. Uh, get it in paperback, of course, because, well, from my own perspective, anytime I read a poker book, I want to be able to take notes in the margins, highlight things. I like to have that physical book so I could just, bam, pop it open while I'm playing, while I'm studying. If something happens on the the felt reminds me of something from the book. I can whip out that book real quick. You know, I'm not really good when it comes to ebooks or PDFs opening those up really quickly. But if that book is sitting right next to me on my bookshelf in my poker section, bam, easy to pick up, easy to re-reference or revisit at any time. So, uh, and that's the why I had Duncan on the podcast. I really liked this book, and I think you are going to love it just as I did. And something else I want to let you know about, Duncan wrote a really detailed article uh, where he discussed the six things that you're possibly doing wrong on the felt and the things that you can do to fix those, not just on the felt, but some off the felt mindset kind of stuff too. Highly recommend that article. So to listen to this podcast, once again, to look at the show notes page, to read that article, to watch the video interview of this podcast, just go to smartpokerstudy.com slash Duncan. Everything is right there for you. Smartpokerstudy.com slash Duncan. So without further ado, let's ado this gambate. Everybody just stay calm. I can handle this. No problem. I know how to deal. License and registration, please. What seems to be the officer problem? Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. I've got an awesome author and a poker educator, Duncan Palamortis, on the line with me. Duncan teaches the mathematics of poker and poker education at UCLA. He's written great articles for awesome sites like uh, Upswing, Poker News, Card Player, and he's written his first poker book, Why Alex Beats Bobby at Poker. Thanks for joining, Alex. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Alex, joining, Duncan. <laughs> absolutely, it's my it's my pleasure. Yes, no, Alex. I mean, we love Alex. I like I like to believe that I have a part of me in Alex. You know, although I, I I like to think of her as you know the idealistic version, I like to think that you know part of me is is in there. So <laughs> that's a compliment, actually. Oh, good, good. I'm glad to hear. And and I have to say that there's quite a bit of Bobby in me still. You know, I coach <laughs> poker and I play, and I'm a winning sure. player. But some of that Bobby action, I'm I'm doing that occasionally on the felt all of us for sure yes yeah definitely so just uh thank you very much once again for uh you know doing this interview with me i appreciate it now thank you for having your, me yeah definitely your book you actually even signed it for me and i really appreciate that <laughs> so when you become rich and famous i've got a first uh, first edition signed book by you did but I really love this book and you explain, it's pretty obvious you're a good educator, right? Thank you're you good so at communicating much. your, uh, 
your, your, your thoughts and your ideas. Haven't seen your actual presentation seminars and stuff, but via the written word, you really know your stuff. And I love how this book, so you're a math guy, but you don't overcomplicate things with crazy <laughs> tough math. As you know, poker math is pretty simple. Lots of addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. But you didn't bog the book down with math. And you did something great, which was you took these two players, Alex and Bobby. Alex at the top of her game, Bobby just beginning, or maybe he's just kind of a losing player. Sure. But you gave so many real world relatable examples that really illustrated all of your points. I, I just First off, I just got to say it's an awesome book. Thank you so much. Thank you. So coming from you, it's a, it's, it's a big deal. Thank you very much. I appreciate well, yeah. it. Thank you. How long did it take you to actually put together the book or at least right up through the first draft, I guess? Right. So um, the the book itself did not take um, very long, but that was because I was I realized I was preparing for that book for many years, mm. right? I mean, for at least since I started teaching uh, 2014. So I've been writing notes, I've been preparing slides, and I was, you know, trying to, to basically, if I were to summarize it in one word, the word would be noise reduction. I was trying to reduce the noise as much as possible. And, and often, basically, like, like, like you, you implied, a lot of the math, a lot of the numerical stuff is a lot of noise that can actually hinder the ability of the student to understand the the, the concepts. And, um, you know, I always take that as a compliment. You know, when people are telling me, you know, you don't look like a math guy, I take that as a compliment very much because I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to not necessarily hide it, but I'm, I'm trying to um, you know, it's it's the same thing that when we're speaking to any any sort of specialist, whether it's you know uh, a, a doctor of some kind, you know, a, a police officer, we usually you know these people know a lot of technical jargon because it's it's, it's their job that they're specialists. But the point is, we want to basically communicate the bottom line. So for me, it's all about communicating that bottom line. So I was trying to reduce as much noise as possible, get to the to the punchlines. Without, of course, oversimplifying them. That's uh, one of my favorite Einstein quotes, right? I mean, you have to make it as simple as possible, but not simpler than that, because at, at, that, at some point we're starting being a little bit too iffy. And um, so, uh, beginning in 2014, I started, you know, like the, uh, the, the, the the writing and the deleting, as I call it, you know, like I write and delete. We don't need all of that stuff. Maybe we need some of it with that other stuff. We don't need. Maybe we need to rewrite and keep rewriting, keep rewriting. Uh, but then when I put all of my, my notes together, uh, f f funny side note, by the way, like I had a student with whom I, communi I communicated real life later, uh, all, all my emails with students, I found something like 200,000 words of emails of, of, of stuff. So all of that helped. But anyway, when I put everything together, um, it, was, it was a fairly, fairly short process. And by short, I mean, I mean, it took about half a year. Oh, so, yeah, I got you, yeah, got you, yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's all relative, right? But <laughs> it takes time to, and there was a lot of writing and rewriting and editing. And, you know, I wouldn't, I would keep edit the book at, at this point if I've had it, you know. Yeah, I was the exact same way. Each of my books, like, right. you know, printed, they were this big, but the first draft was maybe like this big, you know, and right. you got to go in there, like they say, and kill your darlings and cut out as much of the fluff of the unnecessary right. stuff and leave right. the meat, leave what will really right. help the reader improve right. their game. And so, yeah, I understand that's a big thing. And like you said, like you, uh, I could have not released my books and I could still be editing all of them to this day. When I, <laughs> when I open up, this is of course your book, you know, but when for I sure. open up my own book and I look at it, I can cut this, I can change this oh, I can for sure. picture here over, but you just got to eventually say, forget this. We're done. It's, yeah, it's okay. ready to go out. It's not perfect, but it's like 95% there, you know, sure. for sure, for sure. And there's always, you know, more things we could, you know, please go ahead. 
No, no, go ahead. There's more. Oh, I was about to say, there's always more things we can do on like on later editions or on or, or, or newer books. I mean, I've been, I've been reading your word, like uh, your, your, your work for, for, for years, as, as I've mentioned before. And, I, and I've, seen, I've seen what you're talking about. Like I, I, can, I can see the level of, you know, editing that goes in, into your work. I, I mean, I can, I can tell if, if someone who's, who's written text on their own, they know that, oh, this has been worked meticulously. Yeah. <laughs> without a doubt. But I do have one question for you. When I pull sure. up your book on Amazon, I do yeah. not see an audiobook version are you going to release this as an audiobook right so um I, my, initially my publisher said yeah let's going to do this and then covid happened oh. so yeah so there was a little bit of uh, Im- implications so uh, ideally yes so uh, as long as you know i was debating on whether because i'm not, technically i'm not a native speaker i mean i've been in the us for a long time uh, most people don't have issues you know understanding my english anymore <laughs> or my accent i should say um, but it was one of my concerns at the same time i feel that there is a certain level of, I guess I can call it intonation, certain level of passion and, and enthusiasm, which I would rather, I would rather be me to make all the mistakes than having somebody else and be, you know, responsible for them. So I would, I would like to, uh, to do a, because my publisher wanted, wanted uh, to, uh, to have a, uh, an audiobook, and it wanted me to be the one who does the recording. And I was a little bit skeptical at first, but I'm, I'm you know, after all of the, you know, dust settles, uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in doing it. Are, are, are you, are you into audiobooks, uh, Sky yourself? Yes, love audiobooks, um, especially for fictional stuff because it's so easy to just listen and not have to think and turn my brain off and just you know right. enjoy the enjoy the fiction. But for books, especially books like yours, poker books like yours, this is a really good like if I had the audiobook as well as, you know, I got the paperback, but reading the whole paperback, taking notes, taking action with the stuff that you teach, and then occasionally listening to chapter three again, chapter eight, which is one of my favorite chapters. I think it was called Give a Man a Fish and He May Turn Into One. Great <laughs> chapter on fundamentals, but thank you. so reading it once is great. You, you learn through the written word, take notes and everything, but then hearing it over and over again, just while I'm doing laundry, doing the yard or whatever, it's going to help reinforce those things. And I love your pro- publisher's idea of you reading it. It's always best when the okay. author reads his own work, maybe not for fiction, but for okay. nonfiction without a doubt, because these are your words. And like you would right. say, you're going to hit the right intonation. You're going to emphasize right. the things that should be emphasized when some Joe Schmo just reading it. Maybe he doesn't even understand poker reading sure. it. It's not going to be uh, as true or as useful as it could be, I think. I'll take your advice to heart. I'm going to start pushing a little bit more uh, on this again when things, you know, get get a little bit cooled down because right now it's a little bit a uh, weird situation. But yeah, for sure. I gotcha. And speaking of COVID, what's uh, what is teaching like at UCLA right now? Are you even teaching any classes? Right. It, it has been a little bit. Uh, it has been a little bit weird uh, to, to to say the least. You know, some of the again, uh, poker is not going to be exactly top priority because the classes that I'm actually teaching are electives. So some of them were temporarily, you know, uh, postponed. But I mean, we're getting back there. I mean, we're going to use uh, um, the the good old um, Zoom to, to to do it because at first people were like, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. And you know, I, I like to do things hands on. Like I have, you know, students usually sit around a table and you know we're discussing things hands on, and it's part of the the reason why uh, people usually come to the class. And that obviously we couldn't do that uh, remotely. But yeah, we'll get there. I mean, we're getting back to these classes for sure. Definitely good. I'm glad to hear that. I, I would imagine you prefer teaching in person via, for sure, uh, as opposed. Yeah, 
Good, good. Um, so I just mentioned chapter eight, give a man a fish and he may turn into one. And this really, if, if, if there's one chapter that I think is most important, for, like every chapter, you know, the chapters build upon each other. You, you talk about stuff in chapter 10 that you mentioned in chapter two, like you sure. got to read the whole book. But if there's one chapter for anybody who doesn't have a lot of time willing to read, I think chapter eight is it because you cover all the fundamentals, all the most important things, like the low hanging fruit that poker right. players, especially losing players. If you're Bobby and you're not making any money, everyone seems to be uh, exploiting you. And you have a really good part, a really good section in your book where you talk about Alex and Bobby are both playing the exact same hands. Alex is playing them smarter. So her bankroll is staying this big through the session. As the session goes, Bobby is depleting, but they both get pocket aces at the end of the session. She makes this much money. He makes this much because of his skills, right? Bobby is here. So if you listening or watching this on YouTube, if you're a Bobby, chapter eight is the one that you need uh, above all the others, I think. Sure. Excellent. No, that, that, that's great. And it's one of the chapters that I got a lot of feedback and, and people, you know, because I, I, I initially, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because that was one of the, the, the chapters that was missing from the book. And I, people, people were like, well, Duncan, I mean, um, you don't have like a, a specific, a, a clear cut strategy. You always talk about ideas. Uh, sometimes we have to be practical. We have to include that. And, and I basically, I didn't want to sound, um, I, did, I didn't want to sound preachy. I, that's one of the things that I do not like at all because I don't view myself necessarily as a teacher. I view myself more, and I've mentioned that before, kind of like, uh, I, I don't know how to put it, but more of like, you know, kind of like co-discoverer of the subject or the truth or whatever it is. And I just happen to be more experienced. That's why they, they give me the so-called teaching position. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very difficult for me to, to sit in there and I say, oh, you should absolutely do this or do that. Right. So that was one chapter. And, 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 and I, th- I think that was kind of like uh, chapter eight, which is basically Alex's entire strategy. I, I, I emphasize that on the book. That's Alex's strategy. And she has very good reason to follow that. That's not preaching everybody else to go and be yeah. and be like Alex, right? I mean, if they, they see things that, you know, it matches their personalities and stuff, they can follow it. But also another thing that um, I'm sure you, but by the way, you're talking about it, you, you realize that yourself is, is not necessarily that I'm, I'm talking down on Bobby, right? Because Bobby, you mentioned earlier, you have a, a little bit of Bobby in yourself. I do too. Like, I mean, Bobby likes to play for fun and there's nothing wrong to play poker for fun. Actually, a lot of my students come to the class because they want to play for fun. So what I'm saying is why people who prioritize, let's say, fun over making money typically tend to lose money. That's why Bobby loses money to, to, to Alex, but there's nothing wrong with that because again, he more than compensates for that by again, having fun, having a good time at the casino. So that's, you know, it's, it, it's a, in my book, it's a win-win situation. Otherwise, Bobby wouldn't come back. Bobby's not an idiot. Like he, he's potentially very successful in other areas of life and he keeps going back to the casino. He knows that, you know, he loses money. Why does he come back? Because he enjoys the, the game. But so yeah, that's not a preachy, preachy chapter to, to, to come to a conclusion. It's just, uh, Alex's strategy, and I'm trying to explain why she chooses uh, the, uh, that strategy. Yep, absolutely. I, I love that reasoning behind it. And for myself, um, when I'm coaching students and like they play live games or even home games, and there's a lot of limping and a lot of passive play, I don't tell them you cannot play that way. Like <laughs> right. that is not profitable poker. If right, it's right. fun, if it works for you, and if you're in a situation where you know you're playing with your friends and your family, you don't want to be the guy pounding on them with aggression all the time. You know, you've got to be the one you got, you got to be mixing it up and playing hands the way they do, just to keep the peace. And it's a friendly game, you know. But sure. maybe when you play online poker and the goal is to make money and improve your strategies, that's when you want to follow a little bit more. Alex and like leave the Bobby behind as much as possible. You For know? sure. No, that, excellently put. Yep. yep. 
Um, one last thing just about the book itself. For sure. Um, I've always preached that limping is a terrible play. And I generally teach my opponents or not my opponents, my, my students that it's limping by looking at their database and we pull up all their limping hands and we see that win rate and that's losses or the positive win rate is very small. But every time you raise over limpers or every time you raise first in, you're like, winning a ton of money. And that's how I always, uh, I guess, explain how limping is bad. But I love how on page 236, I made a special note of this because I absolutely loved your story, or analogy story? Or whatever it's that- called. Yeah. The hidden costs of limping, right? Limping is not like cheaper than raising. You, you even said junk food is cheaper than healthy food, but there's those hidden costs, you know, the right. unhealthy consequences of that cheaper food. And I, I thought that was a perfect explanation. Can you dive Thank a little you. bit more into that limping uh, is bad kind of aspect? For sure. A limping has been one of those things that I've been trying to understand and dissect for a long time, right? I mean, this is, this is me trying, first of all, to answer to myself, like, why? Why is it bad, right? I mean, I, I can see it from data, like you know that uh, limping actually performs worse than than raising, and uh, I think um, it it struck me when I was in Vegas during the WSOP. Funny enough, I didn't play the WSOP; I played the cash games on the side. Because oh, okay, of- <laughs> and I was I was staying at uh, at Holiday Royale, which has a lot of poker players. I don't know if you if you've been to Vegas during that time of the year, but this is like a nice uh, affordable um, because it's a business trip, so we have to minimize expenses, at least For in sure. my eyes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, and there's a there's a lovely lady there. Uh, her first name is Kathy. And and I asked her, uh, you know, uh, you know, Kathy. It was one of my actually first times. Um, in Vegas. And, uh, and I said, okay, I mean, I'm going to be around in Vegas a lot, you know, during the night and during, you know, uh, off time hour, off business hours. Do you have any, any, any advice for me? And then, the, you know, without skipping a beat, Kathy, lovely lady, always a smile on her face. She's like, Duncan, it's very simple. Act like you belong. And, uh, you know, that, that phrase I didn't realize it at the time, but I mean, it, it, it struck me because what, what she basically said to me, she's, uh, first of all, uh, she said, do not act um, in fear because fear would actually attract uh, predators of some sort, right? right? Yeah. And, but at the same time, what is in, in, implicit in, uh, in her advice is don't go guns blazing. You know, like you're in Vegas. I mean, don't, don't try to act like you belong, but don't, you know, don't go crazy about it. Don't try to, you know, you're going to get arrested. And that reminded me, that's exactly what raising is, right? Raising before the flop. We don't go all in. Uh, as a first person raiser, right? I mean, that would be going guns blazing, right? I mean, we, we just raised to three times the big blind or for whatever it is, right? And, and, and the equivalent of limping would be being fearful, right? So, so the, the sweet spot, so to speak, would be uh, we, we're showing that we belong here. We like our hand. We're raising big enough to make a statement. So if people want to play, they're going to have to pay. Uh, but at the same time, we don't go crazy by risking our entire stack. You know, we're not making an overstatement. We're not making an overstatement. We're not making an understatement. We're just making a statement. And that mm-hmm. statement is, I like my hand. And it started start built from there. Then there were actually... Uh, the uh, the hidden costs of of, of limping that, that you're referring to uh, is the is the idea that okay so what does um, uh, it's not so much the issue of that that uh, limping is 
uh, quote unquote bad, but why would raising would be a better a better alternative, right? And, I, and I'm exploring some of these uh, some of these ideas. And again, I don't want to uh, get into too big of a tangent, but very quickly some of these ideas. So the the classic example would be uh, let's say we're in a very deep game and uh, we have the button our favorite, right? And a bunch of people limp before us, like limp, 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 three four limpers before before us. And then we have a playable hand on the button, like let's say something like Ace Five uh, of Hearts or something uh, on the button and we want to play that hand. Now, a lot of people would be inclined to say, this is a hand that plays really nice, multi-way, I might limp behind, I have position, and they wouldn't be wrong. I mean, it's profitable to limp behind and then let the, let the, let the, uh, the, the blinds come. What I, w- I would argue, however, even if we assume that all players, let's say, automatically call, like they never fold the hand, I would argue it's still more profitable to put a raise in there. Why would it be potentially more profitable? At, at least, why is it worth considering? Because let's say that we put a raise and our opponents would, n- would not think, like they would call with their entire range. So instead of now having, let's say, we go a, f- a five-way uh, to uh, a multi-way pot for one blind each, let's say uh, all, both the blinds call. So let's say there's a, a pot of five blinds. Now we go into a pot that has 15 blinds. And what's the benefit there? I mean, we just blotted the pot, right? How could that be good to be good? Well, for starters, our opponents are now more inclined to check to us. So because we raised before the flop, there might be a little bit less of donk betting. Um, incidentally, I really like like your article about the donk betting that you wrote recently. <laughs> that reminded me. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting that you're talking about. But, but the fact that we raised may make it ever so slightly less likely for them to, uh, to, to, to make a, a betting. Also, the fact that we raised before the flop keeps our range uncapped. That's a little bit of the more slight thing, right? So we can represent aces and kings at any point if we wanted to. So we have these extra benefits and ever so slightly that increases our equity. So what is like, and, and I, if, if I were to, I usually avoid, you know, putting a numerical value to, to those things. But the way I like to think of it is as a, as a pizza, as a pie, let's say. So we have a pie. If the pie is five blinds and, you know, we put one blind in, as long as we get that one blind back, as long as we get at least 20%, we're happy, right? Because we get our money back. If we get 30%, we made a little bit of profit. Now, if the pie is 15 and we get 20%, the same equity, we still break even. It doesn't matter that the pie is bigger. It doesn't matter that there is more money in the middle. We're still breaking even. So the question is, if our equity, let's say, goes from 20% by limping on the button, which is probably going to be a little bit more than that, but for the sake of the argument, let's say, it goes from 20% to 25%. What would we rather have? 20% of five blinds or would we rather have 25% of 15 blinds? Right. So yep. that increase, actually, because the pot is bigger, any extra is going to be for extra money. So as long as we're not playing scared money, this is going to be is going to be profitable. And I, and I would argue that the this is what I, you know, in, in the book, I'm calling the initiative, like being aggressive uh, adds extra extra value. Even if it's for one for one or two or, percent, or people are going to be a little bit more intimidated by that race. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And that's one of the things I always try to teach my students. No more limping, not even in the small (laughs) one when it gets limp to you. And I'm guilty of it. The other day I was on a group coaching call uh, with some of my students and uh, we were talking about limping and how to exploit limpers. And then one of the students says, Sky, do you ever limp? And I said, no, I never limp. And I had poker tracker four open. So let me show you. And I filtered for limping. And out of the past uh, year, I've had seven limps in the small blind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, I, I preach no limping and I think I never limp, but 
maybe sometimes that perfect hand comes along and I think limping is a good play, but uh, for the most part, yes, I agree with you. And there, there's so many hidden costs and it is so much better when you, when you're that pre-flop raiser, like you were saying, you have fold equity. Even if you assume all four other players are going to call invariably somebody folds you, you got them out of the pot. So maybe now you can win this 20 or 30 instead of the 25% of the Mm -hmm. time, as you said, and then that post flop initiative, such a critical thing. And you talk about something also in the book called the poker trifecta. And Mm -hmm. I really like that a lot. I, I've never heard of it talked about that way. I always talk about the three advantages, the positional advantage, um, range advantage, and which you talk about both of those, but then you also talk about the initiative advantage. And I talk about a skill advantage, which is kind of less quantifiable than the initiative, you know, but talk a little bit about that initiative advantage that you can have pre-flop or via your actions pre-flop. For for sure. So what I was trying to understand there, so to give a little bit of background to to your listeners, uh, I I tried to to take a step back and I was trying to understand what I call uh, innate properties of the game. And uh, by what I mean innate properties of the game, I usually give them uh, the metaphor of chess because it's a little bit to understand there. Uh, in, in chess, which is essentially kind of like a, a battle, uh, some sort of race, we can think of that as a race game to get to the opponent's king and, and, and capture the opponent's king. Um, the white pieces always go first. So, and because it's kind of a race game, people are trying to kill the, the, their opponent. I'm, I'm using that in quotes, of course. No, no, no pieces, real or otherwise, they are getting harmed in this episode. So, but uh, what happens uh, in chess, it turns out after huge databases, all else being equal, uh, the white uh, pieces have a, a teeny tiny advantage, about two or 3%. Hmm. So the person who plays first has a little bit of an advantage. So I was trying to, you know, all else being equal, putting, putting the skill aside, which is actually a very important factor, obviously, like I'm just putting the skill, skill, skill factor aside for a second. I was trying to see what are some innate properties of the game, like some properties that if you like completely gave us no information, would we, would we have enough information by looking at those innate properties to bet on some person? For example, if you, if you showed me two, po- two, two chess players battling each other out and I knew nothing about them, it would be a profitable bet to bet even money on the, on the person who has the white pieces. Makes sense. Right? Yeah. So makes sense, right? So I was, I was like, is there any way to do the same thing for poker, right? Is there any way to just, I can look at a table, I don't know nothing about people, I cannot even look at their faces, you know, to, to like, you know, who, who, who's there to have fun by the way they dress and stuff like that, which are a lot of about that stuff also in the book mm-hmm. uh, and it turns out the trifecta is, is exactly that is the idea that you know innately uh people who have position uh card advantage and finally initiative um tend to to be more profitable and all, all else being equal in particular initiative is the hardest thing to uh, to justify and also to to talk about and and it goes Again, hand, hand in hand with your question earlier before about limping, right? Because a lot that goes into that raise versus limping is the fact that there is initiative. And what that does um, is, um, is the idea that uh, it, it creates, sometimes people call that fear equity, uh, jokingly, right? It, it creates, and, and, and it's not, it's a little bit more than that, just, just, uh, just psychological, that is. The, the idea that we keep ranges uncapped, for example, is very important. The fact that our opponents always have to worry that maybe we had aces and that's why we raised, is actually, it comes very, it's very relevant. It creates the, the, the concept of the range advantage and the nut advantage and all of these technical things that we, that we can get into. So, um, it it invokes more checks. It invokes more passive play by our opponents, and correctly so because we are representing a, a stronger a stronger range. And um, 
And also, the, and, and another issue with this is that it makes it harder and more expensive for our opponent to, uh, to, to, to tell a story because, and, and put a re-raise, let, 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 let me say, because essentially the way I like to think of poker is that the first person that uh, calls is the first person that flinches. Like, that's how I like to see it. So, you, so go, yeah. you, you see what I mean, right? It's like, we're having kind of like, <laughs> I don't know what happens today with all of the dark analogies, but, uh, you know, a fight is ready to start. And then, the, you know, basically the, the, the first person who, uh, I think actually it's, there, there's a better example that doesn't have to, to get violent. There is a really nice example from um, uh, um, the, the selfish gene from, uh, from Richard Dawkins. And he's talking about this idea it's actually embedded in our, <laughs> in, in our, in our evolutionary genetics. Um, uh, the idea that um, uh, there is a specific type of birds that actually have exactly these contests, right? So they never. It's actually really costly for them to attack because they may they may die, they may get uh, incapacitated, and they're not able to reproduce. So they have this. The first person who flinches just goes away and then the other person keeps the territory. So there's basically a battle, you know, oh, I'm bigger than you, no, I'm bigger than you, no, I'm bigger than you. And then at some point somebody says, okay, yes, you're bigger than me, so I'm going to walk away. So this is a little dance. So I feel that the raise and re-raise before the flop, it's the same dance. Mm -hmm. You know, I have the best hand. No, 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 you're not. Uh, You're not, Alex. Me, Bobby, I have a better hand and I'll prove it by putting more raise. No, 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 Mr. Bobby. I have a better hand and I'm going to prove it with a re-re-raise. So in a certain sense, the first person that's calling, basically they're signaling that my hand is not strong enough to, to, to re-raise. And actually that translates into, uh, into the ranges. Because again, uh, typically people who have a, the, the best hand, they often, more, more often than not, they opt, even if they slow play for, sometimes, they go for the re-raise. Mm-hmm. So that call um, is, is, is what I like to call, they give information by what they not do. And what they didn't do is they didn't raise. So the person who calls doesn't raise, so they are flinching first. And I think there is a non-flinching advantage yeah. in, in, in poker that translates into ranges. I love that. I love that. And that's what the initiative is, that non-flinching advantage. Your opponent called, they showed a bit of weakness. You're the one with the strength with the aces and kings. Correct. Good explanation there. Now, um, uh, when it comes to a a lot of the listeners right now or viewers on YouTube, they might be saying, and you know, the whole the, the the whole idea behind the book is Alex sure. is a better player than Bobby, and these are all the things that she does that takes right. chips from Bobby's and players like him. Great. If somebody's watching this right now or listening, and they are a losing player, if they would right. consider themselves a Bobby versus an Alex, but they right. want to get to the Alex level, right. what do you think is the first thing that they need to do to start improving those skills and start getting better results? For sure. Uh, there is one theoretical thing that I'm going to say, and there's uh, several practical things. The theoretical thing that I'm going to say, because again, I don't, I don't mean to sugarcoat it, is that, you know, you win something, you lose something. There's always a trade-off in life, right? And the thing that w- the, uh, the so far losing player uh, needs to consider is that they, one way or another, they may have to sacrifice part of the fun. 
if that makes sense. So yeah. what I mean, what I mean by that is that I'm not saying that you know, like when when I play poker, I have fun, right? It's not like poker is not fun, but I'm saying that if, for example, they play because they really want to hit that one outer, or really they want to give somebody bad beats, which which does happen, right? This is a, a specific type of fun uh, that 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 people like to have to give uh, you know better players bad beats, and they enjoy that. Mm-hmm. But if this is the sort of thing that they enjoy, they should be ready to understand that you know uh, they may have to make sacrifices like that. There's certain hands that you. You know, no matter what strategies they come up with, uh, there's always going to be things that they cannot do. So there's going to be some uh, sacrifice of fun. So they will have, another way of putting it is they will have to prioritize profitability over fun. So if they're in a spot where profitability and having fun are at odds, they will always have to choose profitability. So that would be the, the, the theoretical aspect, which surprisingly, you know, is a thing that a lot of people not necessarily think about. Right, they go into the practical stuff right away. In terms of of of, of practical things, I would um, I mentioned earlier noise reduction. I'm a big proponent of that idea. I would try at the beginning, like to keep it very, very simple and very, very simple. I mentioned that in the book. If you want to keep one practical idea, just think of the trifecta: play fewer hands with initiative and position. Like if you can, like, for example, I know this is obviously like people who, you know, are thinking of more advanced strategies and, and, and GTO and stuff, but we're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about beginner players, right? We're talking about, and so a beginner player, my, my you know, again, advice, quote unquote advice, you know, they, they can obviously do whatever they want. But uh, my thought would be start simple. Start with simple ideas. So, for example, what would that be in practice? Let's say that uh, um, a, a, a classic example, you know, they raise from um, middle position with a good raising hand, but not a, a premium hand. Somebody re-raises them. Calling would force them to be out of position without the initiative and without potentially card advantage. Just don't think about it. Just fold yeah. that hand, right? Mm-hmm. I, there is, in a, 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 a more advanced player, there will be a lot of things, you know, like we can forbid as a bluff. I mean, we can forget about that at the, at the beginning, right? I mean, just let go of a hand. If you don't have initiative position and card advantage, just move to the next hand. Surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly, that shift alone can do a lot for for the bottom line. And also surprisingly, it's much harder than it sounds because it does require sometimes that you don't play hands for a long periods of time. And that can be frustrating for people. Yeah, for sure. One of those sacrifices yeah. when you start tightening up and you go for that trifecta yeah. more and more yeah. or as, as often as possible is you're right. You are folding a ton of hands and but you were, you got into poker because you wanted to play poker. You want to hit a flop. You want to hit two pair. You want to hit a flush draw and nail That's it right. on the turn. They get max value out of your opponent on the river. You want that. But you're right. That's a really good uh, 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 general, not general, but like a really important idea. Profitable yeah. poker. And I've heard like Alex Fitzgerald talk about this and a lot of other people. Profitable poker can be pretty boring poker. Because you're just sure. doing a ton of folding. If if mm-hmm. the most profitable way to play is only playing, just to choose a, a round number, uh, V-pipping 20% of the time right. on average, well then, you're folding the other 80%, right? So four-fifths of your time at the table, fold, fold, fold. That's all you're doing over and over again. Can get boring. And I like how you got to be willing to sacrifice that fun for profits. Mm-hmm. And if you're not willing to, Great. Go ahead and keep playing, being the Bobby that you want to be. Sure. As long as you're enjoying it. Absolutely. Then, hey, Absolutely. Yeah, do what you do. It's it's players like Bobby that makes poker profitable for the rest of us that want to become Correct. like Alex out there. Um, Correct. And I, if, uh, a so couple other questions for you. Uh, yes. Let's see here. Recently on Twitter, you are at Ask the Math Dr. for Doctor. Ask the Math Doctor. You said this in a no limit heads up battle, would you rather have the button every hand? 
versus a heads up specialist or be out of position every hand against a recreational player. Now, the polls came back 65% said I would take on the recreational player right. from out of position. But I want to know, Duncan, what would you choose? Oh, man. Yeah. So this is something that I thought about it. Obviously, you know, to, to, to be fair, it will depend, you know, like how, how good that professional is. But I think having the button is such an incredible advantage personally, because I've actually uh, heads up is, is, is actually my game. I, I used to play a lot, a lot online before. I mean, I, I transitioned to life, but, uh, Personally, I, I would uh, I would I would take the button because I think uh, having the button every time is such um, is such an important advantage that I don't think any uh, skill differential can overcome that. So by by that and, and that's actually a very bold statement. So there might be people who disagree with me, but I would say I would take to, to put my money where my mouth is. I would take any winning professional player and by winning I mean any player who who has the fundamentals down and I I would be I bet the money on them against any player in the world if they have the bat on every hand so nice. I would like I would I would take that bet and the reason for that is because I do think that the um the the, the button is such an incredible advantage that no skill I mean there are some skill differentials of course I mean if you if, if you know we have the uh, somebody who is it's difficult let's say world class versus somebody who just learned the game for sure the person who just learned the game probably they're not going to be able to um, use the button to full advantage I mean they're not going to be doing a lot of raising take advantage of that they're going to be doing a lot of limping and things like that. But a, a, a winning professional poker player, I think, is a favorite against anybody in the world, heads up, if they have the button in every hand. Yeah, I would agree so, with you. I would take the button as well. As yeah. long as that world-class heads-up player is willing to play me at my stake, I mean, I'm not going to sure. play 200 NL versus for sure. for you know, sure. with, with my bankroll or anything, 400, 1,000 NL. But for if sure. he's willing to be a 25 NL, I'll take him on sure. if I get for the sure. button every single time. Um in the book, in the very beginning, you talk about, you know, you in the acknowledgement section, which maybe a lot of readers don't read acknowledgements. Oh, the author's thanking these people. I don't care. I'm never going to know them. But I always read it because maybe because I'm an Thank author you. myself and I want to know sure. who they're thanking. But in the book, you talk about your friend Sasha, who right. read the book and created right. a little pamphlet um, right. and then which helped your, I think it was your wife, right? Correct. Yes. Helped, helped your wife play winning poker. Correct. And I was kind of expecting throughout the book, maybe at the end of the book or something, maybe I missed it at some point. I was thinking you might offer us that pamphlet if, you know, uh, <laughs> signing up to your newsletter or something. I mean, if that pamphlet helped your wife who never played poker become winning, I would love to see that pamphlet. For sure. Now, yeah, maybe maybe pamphlet. I don't know if it was a, a poor choice of word, but what, what I meant is that she actually, when, you, you know how uh, manuscripts this day and age, they're basically PDFs, mm -hmm. right? So she took this this manuscript and then she actually turned it into a booklet. So she printed it out essentially. Mm -hmm. That's what I meant by, by, by pamphlet. But uh, but but the funny thing is that because I mean it's difficult for people to read manuscripts and uh, and, and and my wife who is actually a voracious reader, she actually took the that, that booklet. And she read it. She, she, she hadn't played poker before. <laughs> and uh, she, she went and she, she actually, very proud of her. She, she won a tournament in, in, in Vegas. She, she actually, here in LA, she, uh, she played uh, one of the, um, the yearly tournaments over at Hustler. And she, like, she did really well. She, she came, I believe, like 23rd out of, uh, you know, 1,000 people or something. That was, that was pretty, pretty, yeah, I was pretty, pretty happy about her. And, uh, um, 
you know, it, 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 it felt good. At, at least, you know, there were some ideas that were able to resonate with people. That, that may, maybe, if, I mean, obviously I'm biased. Here's my wife. I love her to death. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah. When I read that, I just, I just immediately thought like your friend Sasha turned into like a 20 page condensed oh. version of this is what you need to know. So <laughs> that's what I guess, you know, I was just kind of hoping to see that myself. Um, that's another good advice, by the way. I have to I take that into, into heart. So try to maybe create something like that, like yeah. a, a bottom line. So uh, I know this book is, uh, this took you six months to kind of put together. Of course, it, it was built off your whole career of teaching right. poker and everything. But do you have ideas for future books? Or are you going to create a YouTube channel and start teaching via video? I mean, right. what's the plan from this point forward now that your book is out there? Right now, that's that's a great question. I, you know, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about it a lot, uh, and uh, this is actually, you know, I, uh, obviously, you know, like I'm I'm teaching I'm teaching math also, like I'm doing research. So there's uh, you know other things that that I have, but uh, content creation is something that I've really uh, seriously uh, considered, and uh, uh, basically, one so, so, some things that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about is perhaps, you know, write something about some uh, lessons, you know, uh, life lessons from poker sessions, you know, things that, you know, can, uh, this is something that I was thinking about uh, and, and vice versa, you know, how life applies to poker, poker applies to life. Um, and uh, as for content creation, yes, I mean, I mean it, it depends really. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, for me, the most important uh, important fact is I just want to get the ideas out there, start a conversation. So it really, I mean, it's again, I mean, I have a, <laughs> I have a kind of like, so to speak, a, um, I don't know if you would call it like a, a regular job. I'm technically an academic. I mean, I'm doing research. I'm doing math. I love poker. I spend a lot of time. This is kind of a passion project for me, uh, which I spend a lot of time for a passion project. I probably like, you know, more north of like 20 hours a week on, on, on a poker, obviously, these days. And it depends really on... On the, on the reaction. So if, if people are interested and there is a conversation, I'm more than happy to do that. But for me, it's just, it's just a conversation, you know, like try to see if, you know, some people can be helped about it from it, you know, try to, um, again, I, I like to view myself as a, um, a, a co-discoverer of, you know, a communicator more than anything else. I have a communication discussion with people. Good, so, good. Yeah. Um, I would love in the future, if you do decide to get into content creation, I would love, I would definitely be into it. I'd be following you from the get. Um, uh, and you. this was a really good book. I highly recommend everybody listening and watching right now. You've got to pick it up. Why Alex Beats Bobby at Poker by Duncan Palamortis. Duncan, I appreciate you spending this time with me and my, my audience. It was great talking to you. And I'm really looking forward to continue learning from you and everything that you have out there. Uh, absolutely, I appreciate that too. And just uh, as a, like a, a closing question, because again, I mean, you you ask all these all these lovely questions. I just wanted to ask you what, what what's what's on your mind recently? What is something that you you're thinking a lot about lately? What is like one of the top ideas, poker wise, that's on your mind? Post flop aggression. Um, I've talked a ton about like I talked and taught and podcasts and everything. Uh, a ton about pre-flop aggression, right? And avoiding that pre-flop passivity. And I've talked quite a bit about making that initial C-bet, a little bit on donk betting, but I want to get more into check raising, raising in position. I want to teach students more about just getting aggressive, earning more pots, earning more value out of your good value hands. That's where I am 
headed. So over the next few months, you're going to see a lot more aggressive content out of me, whether it's videos on YouTube in the poker forge podcast articles on the website. So that's what, that's what I'm into. What about you? What are you into right now? Poker wise? Uh, poker wise, I think probably like the, the idea of uh, the concept of, of, of noise reduction is something that is really in my head. I'm trying to see, you know, where a noise reduction can be applicable, but, but what you just said reminded me of this, this other idea of, of uh, I like to give visuals to my students go big or go home. It's like, you know, we shouldn't be playing many hands if we want to keep a simple strategy, right? I mean, one noise reduced strategy would be not playing, not be involved in many pots, but if we decide to be involved, we're there to fight, you know, and and go, go big or go home. I like this. Uh, So I like that you're talking about post, post slope aggression. That's, that's, that's amazing. So I'll keep, I'll keep following and and, and see where you, where you, where you go with it. So yeah, I mean, I'm your follower on Twitter, as you know, so I like, I like that stuff for sure. Good. Thank you. And I think go big or go home. That was a big part of your final chapter in the book, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking about that that as well. Yeah. And it's, uh, and, and also like the, uh, towards the end, I mean, I'm talking about the idea of like, you know, how important are our fundamentals. And sometimes, you know, we, we get, especially this day and age and, you know, you may have heard me otherwise, you know, talking about the idea that I'm a little bit skeptical. And and when I say skeptical, I should be very careful how to phrase this, but I think people, uh, they may overestimate the usefulness of, of solvers and, and I've been, you know, publicly as someone who, you know, like I'm uh, technically that's, that's something that I, I do understand I, mathematics and, you know, and computer science, but, uh, but yeah, that's maybe a topic for, for, for another day, but I really do appreciate you having me here. It's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of fun as well. And just one last thing, because you said, oh, please, it, you know, you please, said it a couple please, please. times. <laughs> I'm happy. Feel good. Um, uh, you said minimizing the noise, and that just reminds right. me of one of my new favorite sayings, JOMO, the joy of missing out, right? For, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, for, for all of us poker learners, right. there's so many videos on YouTube, so many websites. Maybe we're a right. member of a poker training site. So right. many podcasts to listen to try to learn from. We get overwhelmed by so much right. poker content out there, right? So I've been pushing my students toward the idea of JOMO, joy of missing out. And just whatever your strategy is right now, you want to become a better three-bet bluffer. You want to use your HUD better. You want to uh, raise C-bets to bluff players off hands. Whatever that is, focus everything around that. Um, if Duncan doesn't talk about it in his book, don't read Duncan's book. I mean, <laughs> I recommend it. to read Duncan's book, but you know, if <laughs> I, I you're, agree, I agree. I would agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Whatever it is. And he doesn't talk about it. And if in my podcast this week, I don't talk about it. Don't listen to the podcast. Stay tuned on the one thing that you're focused on. Find a video, an article, a chapter from Duncan's book that relates exactly to it. Smed, spend all your time studying that, taking action upon that and ignore everything else. No new shiny objects. I don't care which poker content creator creates something that seems amazing that you can use. No, no, no. That's just all noise, like you had said. And, and try to reduce that as much as possible. So Jomo for the week. Jomo, I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote you that because I think I'm going to use it in my classes. So you're going to get credit for that because, you know, academics will always need like, to give credit to people. Nice, yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. Good, excellent. Good. So excellent. once again, Duncan, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And one last word for everybody. Oh, one last word for me, you've got to read Why Alex Beats Bobby at Poker. And I will be the first one to purchase your audiobook when it comes out, Duncan. Thank you, but, sir. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. And just in closing, where can people go to, to learn more from you, to start a communication, or a communication, a conversation sure. with you? For sure. Probably the easiest place will be yeah, the, the Twitter that you mentioned earlier. Uh, ask uh, the math DR um, on, on Twitter. Uh, a little bit of a, a pretentious title. I apologize for that, but that's actually... <laughs> 
that's actually my my website and that was the only url i found at the time so every time i mentioned that i, I feel the need to apologize because mm. i couldn't find something I, I guess i could have tried to find duncan palamortis but i was i wanted to do something related to math so but sure. anyway so yeah all anytime right. good good all right thank you very much duncan we'll catch you later absolutely thank you well, I hope you enjoyed that interview just as much as I enjoyed talking to Duncan. So thank you for listening. And of course, thanks to Duncan for coming onto the podcast. I also want to give out, uh, give a shout out and a huge thanks to Michael McSpadden, Ian Crotty, Chris Cameron, Tom Prost, RHC, and Yakov. They donated for my online poker first steps program. Now, this is a program that teaches you exactly how to start your online poker journey on the right path for success. You can get the program for yourself absolutely for free, or you can donate a little bit of money like these awesome poker peeps did by going to smartpokerstudy.com. And at the top, you'll see a little menu that says poker programs. Click on that, choose this program. You could pay zero, one, five, twenty dollars $20, whatever you think the program is worth. And I appreciate you checking it out. And one final bit of shout out to some awesome people who bought Bitcoin through my Coinbase affiliate link. They went to smartpokerstudy.com slash Bitcoin. And for their $100 purchase, we each received $10 in free Bitcoin. So I want to thank Oliver T, Craig C, Oliver F, Ernesto, Remo from Upswing Life on Twitch, and Kian, thank you all so much for going to smartpokerstudy.com slash Bitcoin, and we each received a bonus $10 due to your purchase. And as you all know who are listening right now, Bitcoin is just off the hook, hitting all-time highs very recently, and it's often the easiest way to deposit and withdraw on uh, various poker sites. So if you're looking for Bitcoin, smartpokerstudy.com slash Bitcoin, and we can each receive a bonus $10. Well, thank you so much for listening. And once again, thanks to Duncan for coming on the podcast. Your learning is not complete until you visit the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash Duncan. You can listen to the podcast directly through that, watch the video interview and get a link to his really detailed six part answer to the question, what am I doing wrong? And I want to help you make 2021 your best online poker year ever. I am going to turn you into an incredibly profitable microstakes player with ThePokerForge.com. Now, this is my one-of-a-kind poker training site where I combine strategy, action steps, quizzes, and play demonstrations and study demonstrations like no other site does. There are eight masterclass courses with a ninth course coming pretty soon. And I teach you all the strategies that you need for a profitable journey. And I give you hundreds of useful action steps that force you to practice what you learn. So visit thepokerforge.com for more info and to sign up today. Until next time, take action both on and off the felt to become the player that you want to be.